This week we're talking about stabilization, when to do it, when not to do it, and maybe how to do it too. So stick around for panning up. Well, hey there, and thanks for joining us. Today we're gonna go on a journey, an expedition, you might say, through the creative process. Even after a decade of business, our tools and techniques are an ever-changing tundra. But hey, that's what makes it so fun to explore. We're Spirit Juice Studios, and this is Panning Up. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to Panning Up. Really glad that you're here with us today, especially for the inaugural episode, very first one that we're doing. I'm joined by three wonderful gentlemen here. I've got Daniel Gebert, Cody Hilliard, and the boss man himself here at Spirit Juice, Rob Kazmark. So, <laughs> yeah, good to be here with you guys today. Yeah, so, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. First one. First one. So what are we talking about today, Rob? Stabilization. Uh, probably, I think, one of the funnest things to talk about because you could have the most fun doing it. I actually just saw a video uh, on my feed of a guy at a wedding uh, with like a camera and a, a gimbal. And he's dancing while he, like, he's filming <laughs> and like the shot still looks pretty stable. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So just talking about stabilization, gimbals, gear. And, Easy rig, everything. And, yeah. and I love it because I feel like all of us fall into slightly different variations of what we prefer to do. Mm -hmm. yeah. There are things that we really love. I know that Cody's huge on gimbals. Oh, and down so, with the gimbals. No <laughs> down way. with the gimbals. Yeah. Boo so electronics. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I guess like where should we start with this? Should we uh, should we talk about I guess the methodology, like the reasoning behind why you would stabilize yeah. something. Because I know early on in spirit juice, um, at least when I started, um, maybe it was different even before that, but uh, a lot of it was uh, was glide cam or steady cam. You know, we had uh, mm -hmm. the, the Zephyr, mm -hmm. and you were on that all the time. And I feel yeah. like that was pretty common. But then once that you has the vest, right? Yeah, yeah. that's like the like cheapest. Uh, of the expensive, yeah. <laughs> like because yeah, we were on the glide cam. It was like the the HD four thousand and the yeah. best. And then as the cameras got heavier, we had to get like something beefier. Yeah. And then we moved yeah. on to the Zephyr. And uh, man, we took that thing everywhere. Yeah, like because if you wanted to stabilize the red, and that was there's like pre gimbal, so like mm. yeah, it was like oh, you can slow motion and you're moving. That it's yeah. stable. That's crazy. Yeah, so. yeah. You use that thing all the time. I, I just remember seeing the weight of all of that because it was on like one of the Matthews stands and that stand would bend so much <laughs> once you got the sled on there and the camera and everything else. I was just yeah. like, man, that thing's going to snap. Never did. Yeah. But, I tried it out in studio one time and that, that thing, it really hurts your lower back. Yeah. I, to anyone who steady cams, <laughs> hands down because well, you did it one tough. time with the, it was the art, the, the, um, Amira. To the mirror. I did some stupid stuff with it. I climbed <laughs> a mountain. Uh, well, it was oh, in like California, so like, but like, we were filming something hiking, and I climbed all up in that mountain with it. And then, like, my lower back is terrible. Like, it's I don't know how I always see people that like, are steady camming that like could like yeah. do it for like a living is like just mind blowing. So yeah, yeah. yeah. it's mm -hmm. really uh, really bad in your back. Well, yeah, and so I feel like early on that was like the best that you could do. It was it was either that or it was like tripod. Um, because I feel like you go back and, and you talk to the guys who've been in this for doing this for 50 years and it's like it's tripod everything. Um, I mean, maybe if you go high enough up, then it's like, you know, a crane or something like that. But like the guys who were starting who started into this stuff before before gimbals, before glide cams and all that, it was that it was tripods and cranes. Mm -hmm. And so then glide cam or steady cam rather came in and and so yeah, I don't know. It's just it's a very interesting 
Well, yeah, I think the the distinction between like broad, a broadcast world and a cinema world is, I think, a, a really appropriate one because obviously Spielberg is like Hollywood. It's all about like big camera moves, you know, Michael Bay, big sweeping camera moves. And mm-hmm. I think in the broadcast world, it's, yeah, throw your camera on a set of sticks and you record your documentary or whatever. And um, I think the world of like cinematic camera movements mm-hmm. in the consumer space is relatively new, like, relatively new, like – yeah, if you want a techno crane and to do it legit on a Hollywood movie set, you have all those things. But once you start wanting to incorporate camera movement into like a budget set, you know, it, that's where like all of these things, all these implements kind of come in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's cool that we, we have so many different options now um, for camera stabilization. You know, I just think back to like film school days, like just hand holding a DSLR yeah. and trying to get <laughs> camera movements because that's what it's all about. Like, how do we move the camera? I'm holding an HDV camera. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. No, but I mean, it brings up an, an interesting question, too, though, because in a lot of our uh, more recent pieces, we've been leaning a lot more toward the locked off shots hmm. for at least portions of it. So mm-hmm. it, it's interesting to kind of see the shift because we went from, as a company, we went from, you know, steady cam and tripod to then, okay, let's do more handheld stuff. And then it was, was, it kind of came back to more glide cam for a while and gimbals. And then now it's even going more toward locked off again. So mm-hmm. I guess why, what, what would be the overall rationale behind choosing one or the other? I know it's a very, very big question, I, but I mean, I think the, the question for in first in my mind is like, should the shot be moving or not moving? Like yeah. what is the shot trying to communicate? Yeah. Um, I think about the different types of material that like different types of projects we work on require a lot of different things. Um, some, if you're trying to draw an audience into something, maybe you literally move the camera in on something, mm-hmm. you know, like there's a yep. lot of different psychology that goes into shot creation and like shot design. Um, and once you decide to move the camera, then the question comes in, it's like, okay, is it an organic move? Mm. Is it shaky? Is it ultra smooth and robotic? Like how does the camera move? But it has a reason, right? It should. It's yeah. Like giving it that yeah, reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, or like pulling out of a shot. Mm-hmm. You know, you're leaving the scene. You're literally physically exiting. Um, yeah, I don't know. You could really get into the psychology of that. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, my mantra in just filmmaking is contrast. And so, you know, lights and shadows, but but movement, like having movement, but then having locked off stuff. Because like if everything's shot on a techno crane, it just is like, nah, okay. You know, but if you have mm-hmm. like, I remember, so we shot a music video um, in China uh, for like, like two weeks, everything was handheld except two shots that I lugged up a, a crane onto the Great Wall of China. And like at first, the first cut had jib shots throughout the whole thing. Mm. And I was like, you know, I was like, okay, whatever. And then finally I was like, you know what? I'm just going to use one. Well, actually it's like a, a wide and a tight at the very end. And it just like made it. So it's like you want to have a little bit of spice. And so yeah. like movement's so good yep. that like it's important to not overuse it because then it becomes just like vanilla. Yeah, yeah. Mm. absolutely. If it's trying to hit something, it's like – like you said, it should hit. It should contrast. That's yeah, great. it's used for emphasis. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. and we've. I think we've gotten a lot closer to that more recently too, where there are sequences that are just locked off, and there's there's no movement whatsoever except for the subject walking across the screen. I think about the the aid for women piece that um, that Chris is working on right now, where it's just mm-hmm. it's like this long shot. I say long, not like a long lens, but like it lasts for a good fifteen seconds of her just like sweeping the floor and yeah. working through some of that and. Uh, it's it's great to just like get to feel like you understand the space. It gives you enough time there. Um, yeah, I, I think about. I just watched the the most recent Wes Anderson movie. I know I'm a little bit late to the game on that, but uh, 
the French Dispatch. I don't even know it, what the latest yeah. Wes Anderson movie is. So. <laughs> West, French okay. Dispatch. Um, obviously, Wes Anderson known for like Dolly. Uses a lot of Dolly. Uses a lot of sticks. A lot of whip pans. Um, some steady cam here and there. Not handheld. Not like known for handheld. Like it's mm-hmm. not. You know, I think of like storybook. You know, yep. like super critical, perfect frames, and then handheld doesn't really fit into that. And spoiler alert, kind of, but like at one point during the movie, it just goes to handheld and it, you feel it and it's like, oh my gosh, this is very different. And you, if the whole movie was shot handheld, you wouldn't know. It would be like, yep, sky's blue, grass is green. Yeah, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden for it to kind of shock into handheld, it's like, wow, this yeah. is mm-hmm. something. I'm like really in the space. I'm really living with these characters in a different way. Well, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of directors are known for a particular type of movement. Like you have... Uh, the uh, David Fincher moves, which are just so perfectly oh, smooth yeah. all the time. I, I don't know exactly how much this is accurate, but I've heard people say that he like will stabilize his dolly shots, um, which I could <laughs> I could see that happening. Like I will do that occasionally too, where it's like we'll dolly into something. I'm like, no, I, I want that buttery smooth. Like I, I don't want to see anything else. And so it's almost like this mechanical feel compared to some of the other ones, yeah. which are, are yeah, definitely yeah. more. Just on that note, though, if you I've, oh, some older films like dolly shots, you know, they're like shot in thirty five millimeter. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no stabilization, so like the dolly shot shakes. It's like shaky as heck. I yeah. love that. Though. It's so charming. It's, it is. It's so grounded to uh, like the the earth that they're mm-hmm. standing on, and it feels I think more authentic and real. And that's why I appreciate I think that more traditional cinematography where it's less about how smooth can I make it. It's less about. Um, the, the different types of ele- electronics that are connected to the camera to make sure that mm. it doesn't uh, that it, so that it looks perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like that inconsistency. I think that it it feels it feels like I'm watching it like for real. I uh, think I think it I think it kind of lives on the same spectrum. We were having a conversation upstairs in post about color on some like a new an, an upcoming show. It's like The Last of Us, and the trailer dropped, and it's like the the way that it shot and. The treatment of it in post-production and the filtration and the lenses they use and everything, it's very clean and it's an apocalyptic show. And it's like, I don't know if I want it to be mm. like a fresh red Gemini or a monster right out of the box. Like I kind of want it to be like a dirty ingenue or something. You know, like I want it to be a little bit rustic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that there's that – I feel like that's a very similar spectrum to like the the kind of hyper-reality of a super perfect robotic camera movement and something very organic – you know, in the moment, you know, handheld or whatnot. I think that that's a fairly similar thing. And yeah, I, I, I think that they're like, I think what you're touching on Cody is like different projects kind of, I think require different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it's right, it's, it's right. And when it's wrong, it's like, man, that's, yeah. that's not, I don't know if that's the right choice, but mm-hmm. I feel like it know. ties in pretty closely too with like the difference between a zoom and a dolly in, and that like the dolly and you feel like you are moving toward the person, um, or toward the scene as a viewer. But then when, with a zoom, it's like everything's being brought to you. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a similar thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little different, but yeah. I mean, it's a storytelling technique. Like you can do different moves for the same thing, but it's um, why you choose one gives the viewer a different experience yep. that they wouldn't have before. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I, something I feel like we were talking about um, handheld. Remember like it was like 10 years ago when everything, and people was called shaky cam. Oh, I couldn't watch the movie. There's so much shaky cam. <laughs> you're like, yeah. Yeah. It's like I mean, the Cloverfield. Like, like I feel Clover, like Cloverfield yeah. was like one of the big ones because it was like oh, the found yeah. footage and then you had yeah. uh, 
that one was just all over the place. Like that one, it was that one's hard to watch still in a lot yeah. of ways because of how much movement there is. And uh, what was the what was the big one that the horror film Blair um, Witch? Yeah, Blair Witch yeah. Project. Mm-hmm. I think about like the Bourne movies yeah. too. Beyond the first one, all the Jason Bourne movies got like really, really handheld and shaky and stuff mm-hmm. too. Yeah, it feels lazy to me. It, I think it's Hot lazy take. if you don't Hot if you take. just keep doing that. That's the thing. Yeah. Like you need to. Uh, Contrast, like you were saying. Yeah, contrast, yeah. but like, yeah. why am I doing that? Like, you should be asking yourself why. I think you said that to one of our interns for, and I remember them saying it, uh, I don't know if it was bad or something, but it's like, why are you, Why is the camera here? Why? Like, you should oh, always yeah. ask yourself, why is it doing this? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a good reason, then maybe you should be doing something else. Yeah. 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 Some of the like best. another job. Or like- <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. The camera should be doing something. Well, maybe you should be. Well, like, damn, that's. Well, it's pretty hard. It's That's awesome. Kind of fresh <laughs> in my mind. I would just read an interview. Uh, James Gunn did to kind of like he was basically saying that like on some like major films he did, didn't call anyone out, but it's assumed like mm-hmm. certain people that like the director will show up on set and not have any idea where the camera's going to go mm-hmm. and just kind of be like lazy about stuff. And so it's like I think you have a responsibility if you're if you're able to make films like be intentional. Don't just show up and be like, we'll just do move the camera like yeah. this. Like it has a reason. And like the more thought you put into it, the more the viewer is going to get out of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of the best advice that I ever got was that you, if you're making a film, um, you should have a reason for everything. And if you don't have a reason, make up a reason because eventually yeah. the more you keep making up that reason, you'll become more accustomed to having a reason. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that was the best advice I've ever gotten. Yeah. And so it's, you know, each shot does have that reason and trying to, even in the the foreground, midground, and background, even, you know, this isn't necessarily stabilization, but like what content is in the background as mm-hmm. opposed to the foreground? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean in relation to one another? It, it yeah. makes me yeah. think of like, book reports in high school where it's like, what was the author thinking here? Yeah. It's like, the author was definitely thinking this. This was the reason behind all of it. It's like, we have no freaking clue. This book is 300 years old. <laughs> so it's it's a little bit like that sometimes. Like you watch a video, like even ones that we put out um, that like, I know that you guys did them. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure this was the thought process here. And because I know you guys, <laughs> like it's, it's easier to kind of guess that stuff. But sometimes uh, I'll hear someone say like, oh yeah, I love how you guys did this with this reason. I'm like, mm-hmm. yep, that was, that was the reason. That was the reason for sure. Yeah, very so, intentional. Yeah. yeah. No, another, I feel like another interesting area of stabilization is uh, one that we, I mean, in some ways got a little bit lazy with early on, which was slow motion. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not a direct mm-hmm. form of stabilization, but it's kind of an indirect but one. But it kind of like, is. Kind of yeah. is. You know, <laughs> it's a cheat code for sure. Yeah. You use a 35 mil lens on there and shoot it in 60 frames and it's like, all right, it doesn't. Oh, no, no, no. You shoot like on 11 and it's basically like oh, yeah. on a gimbal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's butter. It's butter. Yeah. But I'm curious early on because we had, we got one of the first movies that came out. Okay. Um, I want to throw. So this is like, like I'm. Uh, uh, bragging here but uh i'll just do it because it's fun um so when the first movie got announced right it was at neb and me and danny hidalgo uh another camera up here uh we somehow got invited to philip bloom's like hotel party at neb <laughs> so it had like all, this goes back to like whatever the movie came out with like 2010 or something so like it was all like the independent filmmakers like <laughs> philip bloom <laughs> vincent laferre yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone and then like dude rolls up for movie with the movie that like just like hit the internet and like you have like 30 dudes all circled around in this hotel room just looking at this guy like moving the movie like you know like the movie move and it was like this is incredible and it really i mean that was the like start that like 
put yeah. all the other gimbals mm. out there. But um, we got one and I didn't like using it because it was so complex. Well, talk about yeah. that. Why, was it just the complexity? Because Yeah, I mean, the early ones. So my friend uh, who works, he, he, he's a DP at America's Got Talent and stuff and done a lot of stuff like that. So I would talk to him early on and he's like, yeah, man, the guys that come out with the gimbals, you got to have like a, a degree in science to like get these things going. Like it was so complex. I just knew like Steadicam, it was just physics. Okay, mm-hmm. balance it. Mm-hmm. And it goes. There's no batteries. There's no nothing. And like the movie, it's like it has to be perfectly balanced. But then the motors have to be just tuned. And like it's too much here. It's like I don't know, man. I, this is like I, I'm not here to build like Legos. I'm here to you know make a like just shoot something make cool. Film, so it yeah. just became too yeah. overbearing. Well, mm. I feel like early on too, it was the reason why people would use it, it was the flexibility that it offered. Because like now, um, I mean, gimbals have gotten better so have steady cams over time like they've improved them and improved them but with a gimbal like you could you could get low shots where a steady cam maybe could but couldn't do it easily like you couldn't shift easily from that you had to flip the yeah. whole sled and do yeah. everything there so it was more of a uh, uh you know a flexibility thing rather than a quality thing and, and like doing i'm really like the f- film that came out was like oh it's like guys on rollerblades and hands it to someone yep. else like you don't need to have a vest so like you can do like mm. like these impossible shots mm-hmm. but like well and i mean we do rollerblade shots every other day so i mean that is something nah i mean we used ice to. skates yeah you did do, yeah, ice you skates. Did do ice skates yeah that was just handheld though right it was handheld yeah yeah, yeah. no i picked up um the first gimbal that i had because I, I i didn't have too much money to spend at this time this is like right out of college but i had the it was like one of the super cheap steady cams. It was like the Merlin two, like the you know oh, the one that like Merlin, yeah, 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 yeah. the hook. Uh huh. <laughs> so I had that, and then, um, but my camera was like I had the C one hundred, and so I'm running a C one hundred on with like an L series lens on a Merlin, which is, um, can heavy. it can heavy. It, <laughs> it? It's heavy, but also like hard to to balance that thing because the camera was just so much. Mm. And then I ended up switching to the um, the Ronin M uh, to kind oh, yeah. of move on from there so and i could never i i could never really get the movements the way that i wanted to and it was always a a little more finicky but at the very least it did offer that flexibility that the merlin like you bump that thing wrong and it's all over the place and it's hard to to kind of get it to go yeah but um yeah i don't know i i mean going back to like talking early days stuff cody and i went to school together and kind of got like figured out how to make movies together and um we we were it was in the middle of the DSLR revolution, so it, the cameras were already pretty light, and so yeah, it was like we had a very cheap Steadicam ripoff thing and like a, a cheap yeah. I gimbal. remember when you picked that up for the first time, and yeah. I don't know, like sounds like there's a story there. Well, well, I just, we used I, it on a lot. We did, yeah. um, we did weddings and stuff. I think primarily, but yeah, um, but yeah. at that time, you know, the the cheap, you know gimbals and the cheap steadicams were were still pretty vetted like they worked they mm-hmm. they were they weren't yeah. jank tech projects by engineers yeah like they, they they worked and so um i don't know like there were issues like but there are issues with the ones that are out now too so um i don't know it, it was it was cool to see like get my hands on some some of that stuff early on and, and see like oh okay yeah i can i can use this like skill based tool like a like steadicam and try mm-hmm. to get these shots and mm-hmm. and then a gimbal was another kind of weird skill based tool that um i don't know yeah it was, it was, it was at fun. first it felt like it wasn't a skill it's like oh you need to have skills to run a steadicam but a gimbal just pick it up and go and then yeah. you realize that like mm-hmm. no you, i mean like you don't need 
the skills to necessarily balance it like the newer ones, but like to get a good move, you kind of don't need to yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And you really need to be in tune with the rig in the end because there's so many adjustments that you can make. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I never fully got the Ronin M where I wanted it in the, in the sense that, uh, you know, I'm sure the people who do it every single day who use those things right. constantly have the settings that they know and they know they have the muscle memory down. Um, but I mean, like you guys were saying, it was a bit finicky to start out where like after a while, like the camera would start to lean yeah. to one side. And so you got to like that it's, floating it, vibe. Yeah. Like suddenly yeah. it's not balanced anymore, even though it was 10 minutes ago. And why isn't mm-hmm. it? And then the, you got to recalibrate the motors and you got to make sure your phone's charged because that's how you do it. Like now they've gotten so much better, but um, but they still have those issues. Yeah. You know, right. Didn't you guys have issues with that on? On uh, one of the Word on Fire pieces? Yeah, I was just thinking about that because you mentioned the Ronin M, and I actually, we used that as our B cam like uh, rig. Um, we used the Ronin M with a Is C70. the M the old the one you had? Yeah, it's, it's the, the two Because yeah, yeah. we have also the, what's the new, we have like the RS, RS yeah. R and the RS, or RSC2. RSC yeah. yeah, RS2. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had both of those with us, and one of our cameras was on the Ronin M, and um, it worked great. Like it, it, it it worked great. Mm-hmm. Were there issues with it? Yeah, but you know, very small things we could work through, um, and that was that was even kind of one extra step because it was a gimbal, which means that we didn't have to have a steady cam op, um, and we didn't have to have a crane op or a, a dolly or anything like that. Well, can but I touch also on that for a second? Autofocus, then? yeah, yeah, because. Mm-hmm. Even now, because like we're talking about the skills that are necessary for both of these, it's still a bit like, like yeah, we've gotten a. It does take someone with some skill to run a gimbal, but at the same time, a lot of times we need someone that's a steady cam op, like someone that mm-hmm. specializes in that mm-hmm. if we're really going to do it well. Mm-hmm. But you guys were able to pick up gimbals and just kind of, I mean, you have skill, right? But sure. like that that comment about like we didn't have to have a steady cam op like that, yeah. it did kind of take the place. I think too something to take into consideration is the focus. You know, if if you have autofocus, it makes your life ten times easier. But if you don't have autofocus, is a glide cam really that useful? Because you can't I mean, do push ins. Well, well, yeah, we would just you grab focus really quick, yep. yeah. and then you just know like mentally, okay, I'm like five feet away, just mm-hmm. stay this distance. And if mm-hmm. you yep. if you went closer. Grab it really quick, but yeah. But, but like for push-ins and stuff, like dolly-ins yeah, and dollies Unless you're an AC. Um, That's why a lot of yeah. people use um, – I worked with a guy for years that would do uh, the 14 mil all the time on a mm. C100 because it was like a F2.8. And mm. so you can get almost everything in focus. So it's uh, – yeah. yeah. That's what I loved mm. about glide camming with the red because the screen was so big and the focus peaking was like super, super clear. Mm-hmm. And I could I could be outside broad daylight and like yeah I think I'm about three feet away and just rock that distance for mm-hmm. a lot of side to side tracking shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, autofocus has changed the game in so many ways in that yeah. respect. Like it's allowed these different it, in a lot of ways it's allowed these stabilization methods to like come into their own because yeah uh, you don't need to have a focus puller and a bunch of other people and a bunch of things connected to it so it becomes really lean where it's like hey I've got eye tracking autofocus on. I'll just like, you know, do a spin around this guy and it'll catch his eye as soon as it sees his mm. face. And then now with the new cannons, it'll track the back of their head. So like I'm always yeah. going to keep it in focus. It's obviously not perfect, but. But that, I mean, that ties it into a lot of the philosophy behind why we shot this, this Word on Fire project that you mentioned. We shot it the way that we shot it because um, we wanted to uh, get this kind of bigger production feel and not have 30 people on set. Mm-hmm. Um and we wanted to get these these shots where we're kind of flying through the environment. We wanted this kind of continual, um, 
continual movement. So we could have done a dolly, um, but with the time that we had in each location, sometimes there were super, super small budgets of time. Um, and so we, we, uh, you know, we shot with a gimbal and, and we got, we got a great effect from it. Um, and with a fairly small crew, we got these, you know, high production value looking shots, mm. uh, really quickly. Were those in slow-mo or real time? It was, uh, mix. It was, I think most of it was 24. It was real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I did this yeah. thing for a while in the C70 where I would shoot in the highest shutter speed, uh, the highest frame rate that you could with the highest image quality, which was like 33 frames per second or 30 frames per second. So and it's just like a little bit of But small still off. slow fast, so it would conform mm-hmm. it to, 25, to 24 in camera. And it, yeah, it just gave it a little bit of that kind of extra mm. feel. Can we talk, that's a good, can we go around and tell our favorite hacks for stabilization? Oh, that's yeah. a good hack of like shoot 30 frames, yeah. conform mm-hmm. to 24. Yeah. Any other hacks? I mean, I, I, that's, yeah, I think that works really well for drones too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, hacks. Come back to me. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I kind of mentioned earlier, but like, yeah, the wider you shoot, yep. the more stable it's going to mm-hmm. look. So it's like, oh, I'm going to go even like hand or whatever it is. Like, I'm just going to go really wide and then it's going to look very smooth. And then obviously, you know, the more, yeah. the higher the frame rates. Uh, well, and to the, the more telephoto you get as well, you're going to get more shake. And mm-hmm. so if you're flying with something like a 50 or an 85, those little micro jitters in your arm or, you know, coming up from the hips on the uh, belt, like, it's going to pick that up. Mm-hmm. So the wider you get, you're not going to see that kind of thing. Yeah. But I don't know if it's necessarily a hack, but shoot with a big camera. Like shoot oh, on, the, oh, on the Amira. For real though, yeah. On the Amira. Mm-hmm. Or just make your camera heavier. Yeah. just yeah. I, I know that's like we used to do that way back in film school days, just add weights to the bottom of your camera to make it kind of – it didn't quite get to the effect that I ever wanted. But shooting with the Amira or you know a camera that size and that weight – it, it looks completely different than, you know, even like a Canon C300 Mark mm-hmm. III. Even if it's all, handheld. Yeah. yeah. I was shooting um, a dock with the Easy Rig and an Amira, and some of it was just handheld or some of it was just on my shoulder. And the effect was supposed to be handheld, supposed to be in, in the world with mm-hmm. these people, you know, that kind of boots on the ground kind of dock. Um, but with the Easy Rig and the Amira, that extra weight, that kind of momentum that the carry, the the the, the camera carried with it, made everything feel very intentional, despite mm-hmm. feeling, still feeling handheld. And that, to me, it's like that sells that effect. That makes that effect actually work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of a hack. Yeah. No, I definitely, I think I agree because every time I've gone to fly with the red, it always feels like the amount of weight that I'm pushing feels way more stable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really not picking up, even if like there's a heavy breeze, you know, mm-hmm. the C70 will get kicked off of its axis. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so having something that's really heavy, yeah, it does do something. Yeah, sure. and I think that that too goes back to like when I was talking about Spielberg and stuff too, like those old school cameras were big and heavy and the rigs were big and heavy. So you have that mechanical stabilization and just the, the nature, the physics of it, the, the balancing of it that helps there. And I think a lot of the stabilization techniques that are coming out these days are really just counteracting the effects of smaller and lighter cameras because yeah. it's sensor stabilization, lens stabilization, gimbals, all of those things are how do we make it stable but light? 
well, as opposed think, to stable, super stable and heavy. Yeah. Do you think the camera size, like, would you still want a heavier camera with a gimbal at that point? Or do you think that the mm. purpose of a gimbal is to sort of counteract, like, take the place of that weight? I would only, personally, I would only want a gimbal with, like, a light, like a mirrorless. Oh, I don't even know if I'd want to do a C70, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, that's too heavy. Um, yeah. 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 No, I'd agree. I'm for sure. No, especially because my I have a bad upper back. And so for me, like bringing my arms forward with those, like it just this, the most miserable I've ever been was after uh, Melinda's wedding, mm. actually, because I flew the C300 Mark one on the gim- on the gimbal um, on the Ronin M, which fit. But at that time, uh, like the only way I could have a monitor up top, I had like a, a big clamp on there with the monitor because I, I jerry rigged it. Um, mm. But by the end of the day, it was just my back was killing me. But um, it's funny how some things just like become complicated just to be complicated. Like mm-hmm. I saw there's um, there's a mount. Well, like if you're going to use a gimbal, not just like a single hand, like if it's double hand, then there's like the XO rigs. But I saw like I think Steadicam makes a vest and an arm to attach your that. gimbal. And I it's saw like, that. I feel like that just it's I don't just know. More it breaks my brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because with the vest, I mean, I haven't seen. I've seen that they make it. I haven't mm-hmm. actually looked into it, but I would imagine that takes away some of the benefits of the freaking gimbal. Like, well, yeah, that's like, the thing. It's like the point of the gimbal. The, the reason that I always liked a gimbal was because I could go high and move in low. Yeah. It's like, can you really do that with? I mean, Maybe I that's why things like the RA Trinity exist, well, where you have true. it on the boom arm and yeah. you can get it. Mm-hmm. I think that does the benefits of both really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's big and Isn't cumbersome now? And, and expensive. Didn't uh, Sockler buy that? I'm not sure, but yeah. 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 It's but like the thing they used way. on 1917 and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I mean, to the other question of like, I think for me, it's like small camera gimbal, bigger camera, you're going to go on a, um, a steady cam or something that you could, you know, if it's going to be a bigger cam, you're probably going to have cinema lenses. So you yeah. need mm-hmm. a first AC. So you need to rig it out more and they could just handle a lot more weight. Like there is... Like I've over, you could overload a steady cam and still be like okay. Yeah. If you overload mm. a gimbal, it you burn like, the motors out. Yeah, it'll just break. Yeah. Uh, it's all carbon fiber, so. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'll break your back before you break <laughs> um, the steady cam. Right. Yeah. No. One of my uh, you were mentioning hacks. Once again, I don't know that it's necessarily a hack, but like layered stabilization. So you've got like either your steady cam or your gimbal with sensor stabilization with lens stabilization Mm -hmm. so like you've got all three of those and and that just gets to the point of like it's buttery smooth in almost every situation so it's like the c70 with like the 24 mil that's that's stabilized like so actually flies in the face um, of what you like yeah well in france we actually we had the c300 mark threes with the image stabilization and then we threw uh we threw that on an easy rig with the 70 to 200 and you turn on the image stabilization in the 70 to 200. It's like sticks. It's like sticks. It's crazy. Yeah. And um, it just makes you uh, f- like way more diverse when you're shooting because, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can have somebody on the medium range, right? So you have like a 50. And then you have that 70 to 200 and then glide cam. And that's like such a combo. Oh, yeah. Uh, those, the, the Trinity. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but. so what, in a situation like that, let's compare like the doc style filming. So you guys in France filming stuff that's happening live, you're not controlling the scene versus a setup where it's word on fire or it's fill these shoes, which we'll be talking about next week, that sort of thing. Like, which one would you rather have for each? Like, do you like just one thing for everything? Or is it, I mean, a lot of times it's the best tool for the best situation, but. For me, 
Sorry to jump in. No, go ahead. For me, it, beca- yeah. it comes down to like who's doing the thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. If you're doing a, if you're doing a narrative, the thinking should happen with from the cinematographer and the director motivating and the camera operator motivating the shot. So that should be a mechanical stabilization. That should be or or it's electronic stabilization. But it's you're limiting the variables of like who's doing the thinking. Mm-hmm. And once you get into the situation of um, documentary variables are out of your control. That's when autofocus and sensor stabilization and lens stabilization really really come into their own because, like, you don't have time to do all the thinking. You don't have the people to do all the thinking. Camera, you do some of the thinking, and then we'll get the shot. Sure. And I think, I think, to me, like, you can blend, you can blur the lines, but I think that kind of you got to be, you got to be versatile, and you've got to be able to get the shot when the when it happens, right? Because you're working with live events typically, Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you're not getting that angle, you're not getting the close up. Then well, and I mean, in doc, any doc stuff like that's like the key shot. Those reaction shots yeah. of like someone's crying, and if you you know, I don't care if the shot looked beautiful from a different angle. Like if you don't have that one shot, like forget yeah. cinematography. Mm-hmm. It's just the content right there. So at that point, it's a really yeah, good point. you can't control the content of the image, you know, per yeah. se, right? Because it's all happening, yeah, um, doc style. So yeah, but when it comes to a narrative, you're crafting it from the ground up. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it just, I, f- I feel like with documentary, it's just you have to have a care package yeah. that's so more versatile mm-hmm. um, rather than uh, unique, maybe. Right. That's yeah. the right word. Yep. So then Liturgy of the Hours, how did that fit into all of that? Like what so, was the thought process behind choosing that for something that was, I would say it leaned a little more narrative. Yeah, 100%. It, it was very crafted. Mm-hmm. It was very intentional. Like, we had, did location scouts. We knew exactly what our, like, we knew how many steps we were going to take in all of our gimbal moves and how that timed up with the music. Like, we had all that planned out. Um, but, again, given the amount of time we had on set with actors and locations and stuff um, and how long we had to light, um, we relied on some of those other tools um, to do some of the work for us. So it was primarily the gimbal acting essentially in the place of a dolly and autofocus acting in the place of an AC so that we could use our other camera operator um, as an actual camera operator instead of an AC. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it it was, it was just kind of making the, the, well, the pipeline a little, a little bit shorter, I guess, or like making it more efficient. That was something that we had talked about after we shot the Christmas short. Um, Because it took us so long to set up the jib and the track and, um, I, I don't know if I asked you, I was like, well, how can we make this faster? Because mm. we're wasting I so like much time. I like the shot on the track though. Yeah. Cause well, I could just, you could tell, you yeah. could tell if it's you a, could. yeah. And it, I think it feels more cinematic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, it's, but it's a balance, it's right? Tough. Cause based on time, yeah. like you might not have that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the conversation happening because we were, we were on set and we, I think cut, had to cut a shot and it was like, if we had an extra 15 minutes, we, we could have gotten this shot. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation was like, I think, I, I think I told you. We, we could use the gimbal for these three shots that it took us 20 minutes and five crew members to build this one rig and then this a different rig. Mm-hmm. And, and those were the rigs that we ought to have used. Like th- there were the right tools for the job, mm-hmm. but there was another tool for the job that got it 90, 85% of the way there at half yeah. the time. Yeah. And it's like, ooh, we, it was this constant, like, should we have used this other thing? But but like Rob, to your point, the the quality of the piece shows, I think, in no, no small part because of the mm. we use the right tool for the job and not just yeah. like a tool that did it yeah um i don't know it's like but, a swiss army knife yeah. versus like a dedicated t- tool I don't yeah know. 
Yeah, it makes me think back to Veil, the uh, Veil removed that we did in 2019. Um, because at one point, like we we were very lucky in that we had, I think, fairly recently completed our our trinity of Ari cameras. Mm-hmm. And so we had the two Amiras and we had the Alexa, uh, the Alexa Mini. And so there were times where we had to make those decisions about, well, we're going to have to move really quickly, but we're using a crane for this. Like, how are we going to do this? And we got lucky in the sense that we could put a different camera on each thing. So we had we had the Amira, or no, we had the Alexa Mini on the Techno Crane uh, that we had out there. And then we had another one that was on tripod uh, so that we could get some extra punch-ins if we needed to. And then a third one that was on a, a Steadicam so that we had an option for each one and we could match the color science and all that. But you don't yeah. always have that. It's not something where you just always like, oh, just throw a couple extra cameras in there, whether it's budget mm-hmm. or just like, hey, you're flying somewhere. Mm. So Mm -hmm. that's always an interesting decision to have to make. Yeah, I think another element of it is within like the realm of like narrative versus documentary. It's having your shots pre-planned out, you know, the number of shots, you know, what it's going to take to get them. And um, flexibility of like getting shots that are happening organically. Um, So yeah, your documentary subject starts crying. You got to shift your rig around. And it's like, if you're on sticks, that's going to take a minute. and I think that is another contributing factor to all of it, like the decision between um, stabilization or no stabilization and then what type of stabilization is like, um, you know, the word on fire thing we're talking about. We knew exactly how many shots we needed. So we could focus our energy on to getting just those shots with the rig that we the rigs that we brought. But if we were if we were in an environment, a new environment with fresh things happening and we were trying to figure it out, I think we probably would have made different decisions on how we would have kitted out our camera, our, our camera uh, rig. Um, and yeah, it just, it's all, you know, it's all like, it's all decision-making process depending on what you're filming and, and mm-hmm. how it comes together. Yeah. It's like a puzzle piece. Cause there's not really a, like you could have swapped that one shot in the Christmas thing to a gimbal and it wouldn't have been bad. It, it would allow you to have, get another shot there. So it's like a puzzle of like, well, I do that and I have time for this. And so mm-hmm. you're constantly trying to make these decisions and then yeah. also work with the budget you have and the equipment you have. And I think like, that's a big thing. I know like when we first got like a slider, we use sliders for everything. All the time. Yeah. Or use All the time. A, a jib. We use, you know, like, so you use like the thing you just got most often, but if you get to a point where you are just like, I want to say like, uh, emotionally mature and secure in like your filmmaking. Cause like, <laughs> yeah. I think we're never really there, but being like, okay, this makes sense here and it's going to be the best. And I think like being obedient to the project is often mm-hmm. something, um, well, at least in client work is mm-hmm. something you get to really like a bit of a mantra to go, go back to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we yeah. touch on sliders a little bit too? Cause I feel like that's one that we haven't really talked about this whole discussion. Be- but. Before that, I just want to, on the consumer side of stabilization, sure. oh, yeah. uh, GoPro hero four, The stabilization on that is insane. But then what's even more insane is if you get the the max lens, you could literally take the the camera, turn it sideways, and it'll still stay level. I've seen that. I I don't – Sorry, like there's a there's like a million different GoPros, and I've been out of the world of GoPros. I'm, for I'm a pretty while. into it right now. Okay, yeah, yeah. What, I use them like every weekend. Yeah, like so. Is that how? Is that just like a sensor trick? Is that software or is it actual stabilization? So they have, so I think starting with a seven or eight, they had image stabilization. Because if you remember before shooting on a GoPro, like you put it on your bike and it's like crazy shaky, like yep. not usable. And mm-hmm. rolling shutter and yeah. all of that. Yeah. And then like, so they had stabilization. It's got better each iteration. The 10, it's really good. Like, I mean, it's like super smooth. It doesn't take you out of the moment at all. 
and then you um, so I actually just got the the lens. So you take the lens off, and it's a max lens. So it's like a like a wide angle. So I think what it does is like over like it, it zooms in, and then if you set it to like horizon leveling. Um, I don't know how it really does it. I don't know if it's like a circle sensor or something, but like hmm. it's, I mean, I was just playing with it. Like you could turn the camera on its side and it still stays. Yeah, that's nuts. They've gotten so good with um, that. It's it's interesting too, because I feel like a lot of the consumer stuff is farther ahead in the the software yeah. side of things. Than, Always is. Yeah, Always. it's like you look at, at what your iPhone can do versus what a RED can do. And it's like, on one hand, yeah, you're going to get better footage out of a RED if you're shooting side by side and, and using the right techniques. But the iPhone has so much better software built into it and just the way that it handles everything, and the GoPros especially. Like, mm-hmm. I want to say they're at the top when it comes to, because it's, it's not, I don't think the sensor actually moves. I think it's just all software. Yeah, I think I don't know this. Yeah, I think it is just all software. But that mm-hmm. makes it even more impressive because yeah. of how like I've seen the videos too. I've seen the stuff that you put out too, and it's ridiculous how much that that how smooth it is, yeah. even with the you know going off jumps and biking and all of that. And um, yeah. do you put it on your bike when you go? Yeah, right. I do. I use well. The, what I like about GoPro is like you've uploaded to this their, their app, and then it auto edits the stuff for you. So like I went oh. to the bike park with my kids, <laughs> and I uh, uploaded stuff. You know, I had the GoPro all over the place. And then, like, in, like, a couple minutes, we just watched, like, oh, highlight for the day. Like, it's not the best edit, but it's enough to, like, relive with your kids for the time. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I, I'll put it on everything. I mean, now especially because I got um, – the problem is, like, my kids would, like, turn it on their side. So mm-hmm. that's why I want to get the leveling thing. So, like, it could literally go anyway, and the shot's still going to be great. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So And the app's great. We started using it up here for first drafts <laughs> yeah, for client, clients. Yeah, yeah. projects. Yeah, oh it's, it's allowed us to save so much time. <laughs> you don't have to hire 10 people to edit. You just use the – you just plug it all in. It does it all for you. So it's – our post team is just like a person pressing the GoPro. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> we just hire actors to come in and sit in post-production when people come in. No, my, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but no, I mean, it does. It's, it's impressive with how much it's able to do with, in a lot of ways, so little. But um, yeah, no, it's for the first time, I feel like I've really been anxious to get a GoPro, um, especially with kids now, just the quality keeps getting better with them. You can't break it. You can't. That's yeah. like the best part. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not worried mm. when they take it. Yep. So. But you were going to say sliders. Yeah. No, I, I, we haven't talked too much about sliders, but I feel like, um, and I also feel like these days, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just basing everything on, on what the trends within the company are, because that's kind of the world that we live in. But I feel like sliders were really, really big for a while too, and kind of dropped off a little bit. They're still popular. I mean, there are still some great sliders out there, but I feel like it's uh, it's not where it was a few years ago. Now, do you think that that's because gimbals have taken that spot? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I remember I when so. like Kessler first came out. I, I don't know who was like the first one, but Kessler was like the name of the game mm-hmm. when sliders first came out, and uh, it was amazing because you before that I remember before that we had the the homemade dolly, which was like PVC mm. pipe, giant piece of wood, rollerblade wheels on nice. an L bracket, oh, drilled yeah. together, and thing was massive to cart around. But like when we put that on it, put the camera on there, like we got some awesome shots. Mm-hmm. And we like we were able to get a slider shot in like five minutes it was like oh my gosh this is the best mm-hmm. yeah. and then yeah and then every it be, and i think it, it reached its peak when like everything's motorized because at first it was just like by hand yep. and then like once you could motorize um the truck back and forth you could put a pan tilt on there yep all motorized all controlled and then like it went into like time lapse stuff where you have these mm-hmm. like motorized time lapse it was yeah and then it's like okay we're bored let's do something else and yeah the gimbals i feel like with a slider 
I've got to have intention going into the shoot um, just because it does take a little extra time to set up. Mm -hmm. And so that's where like the, where the gimbal would come in handy um, is just when in those is, uh, situations where you would typically have a slider and maybe you're doing a truck or maybe you're doing a dolly in or yeah. a dolly out um, and you save a little extra time. But I still, I still prefer the look of the slider yeah. or the dolly yep. yeah. because it feels like I'm connected to a plane. You mm -hmm. know, I'm not floating. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the floating effect is nice, right? Mm -hmm. But I think more often than not, even when, you know, when you watch films, you know, typically they're shooting on a dolly track for a reason. Yeah. Um, well, there's that bob of the... Uh, yeah. You know, it's like you're moving in on something and, and it kind of goes up and down just a little bit in yeah. a weird way that Steadicam doesn't really do. Yeah. And sliders don't really do. Yeah. So I, I like being connected to one plane mm -hmm. and then moving on that one plane. Um, you know, when it comes to like a a boom, you know, it, that's a whole different thing. But but it's still connected to something. I feel yeah, like even if you're axi, moving. You yeah. Know. And it's a consistency if you're doing it right. There's a consistency with um, with the movements where like if you start going up, you're probably going to keep going up. Whereas I feel like the, mm -hmm. the gimbals, it's like unintentional movement is what it adds in there in some spots. Mm -hmm. So because you're not. Since you are using something that's motorized, you're not in full control of every element. Yeah. Mm. But speaking of like, you know, that extra axis, like the bob and like not being fully in control, um, the, the, I mean, the current camera of stabilization heaven is the, what this the DJI 4D. 4D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it doesn't have sensor stabilization, I don't think, but don't know. it has every other axis of stabilization and, I don't know. Like, Rob, what are your thoughts on that camera? I mean, we don't have one, so I imagine you're not super huge on it, but, like, yeah. what What are your thoughts? Ever, at first, I, I, like, looked at it. Maybe it was just, like, you get old and you're, like, the first thing you see is, like, oh, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first reaction. And then, like, but I was, like, okay, it seems cool. People said it's really fun to shoot with. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting. The, the, for me, it's, like, how is the image quality, though? Because, like, the only thing new you're getting is just a simplified workflow process of like getting a stabilized stabilized shot. So that's cool, but like, I don't know. Like I'm, from what I heard, the the image isn't like mind blowing. Like it's mm -hmm. it holds up. Mm -hmm. um, so it feels kind of gimmicky. Maybe I would change my mind totally if I had one, and I'd be like, oh, shoot, this is actually pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, but I haven't used one. I think like a lot of that is like. You have to like touch it and play with it to to like really like, you know, drink the Kool Aid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It feels very. It feels specialized in some ways, like it's in the same way that you wouldn't use a Phantom to shoot everything. Like I don't know that you would necessarily use that to shoot everything if you want like the highest quality. I don't know though. There is there is something to that camera that I think no other camera does, which is it it has pretty much every bell and whistle you can imagine on a camera. So it's got autofocus. It has, I believe it has built-in NDs, maybe. Hmm. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'm wrong I'm about that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking and, at it now. Um, and it has, you know, it's the body of it, not the actual gimbal attachment thing in the front, but the actual body of it looks fairly similar to like a, an FX9 or an FX6. Yeah. Yeah. Their kind of tagline is, the future is rolling. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I'm just, it's pretty I'm, good, but... Um, 
So, I mean, it, it's kind of like a dock camera mm-hmm. with like a gimbal attachment essentially stuck on the front. It has yeah. lighter focusing. Yeah, which is pretty pretty cool. Hmm. Um, so huh. you can actually you can actually there's an attachment so you can do autofocus with manual focus lenses and gears and stuff. But you I can lock that. you can lock the gimbal and just shoot an interview with it on a tripod. Like I don't know. It, it's, I guess if if it does have a full lockout, yeah, I could see that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's it's an interesting thing. It's um, I I think you you guys are right though. It's it's a specialty tool. Um, However, I think for a lot of people's production, a lot of the way that production is moving in terms of independent production, mm-hmm. it it does so much yeah. very well that I think it's like, wow, yeah, that's... I mean, just yeah, it does make me want to get one, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> as, as you look at... I mean, yeah, I mean DJI does their, their marketing very well. And it feels like an I, like an Apple thing. As I scroll, like like on my phone, it's like the website's like so interactive. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's, what does that? It does that too? <laughs> it's a full frame. Um, yeah, I mean, it looks nice. Yeah. It looks nice. But I think the problem, especially with gimbals, like they have a new gimbal, like I feel like every year. Or like even DJ, oh, there's yeah. a new something. And so like the fear of this is like, is there just going to be another one? And like, um, a year or something mm-hmm. and granted like cameras come out a lot too but there's a certain like level of like okay you're gonna invest in an Ari camera or a red camera even like canon i mean to its fault almost because they don't mm-hmm. release them too fast <laughs> um at least you feel like okay for like four years i'm good where dji is like well, when are you gonna put our next one out mm-hmm. when it's just a gimbal it's different but when it's kind of sensor attached it's a little it's, yeah uh, um yeah i i think something if a camera is built around a gimbal it's the camera is built to be a gimbal you're going to want to use that. And like if if that – it's a kind of like the decision is like, oh, should I shoot this with – should I shoot it with a gimbal? It's like it's already – that decision's already made. Yeah. So I think the tendency is going to be just overuse it potentially um, as opposed to stripping it back to like, okay, I have a I have a camera body. How should I move this? I hope – What does the shot need? They put it on a gimbal though. Put, put, <laughs> the put the, the, on the, gimbal. the 4D on a – on and a then gimbal, go to a steady on a Steadicam. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the Trinity system. Yeah. and then stand on a homemade dolly. Yeah. And actually and actually, just – but you get a stationary shot. <laughs> you <laughs> still, just get a landscape. All, no, you're right. Though. No, you're I mean, pushing it, in and dialing out so the, it just stays the same. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, you're good. I was just thinking about uh, – like zoom lenses are kind of like that too where it's um, – you've got so many options, it's hard to choose. Mm. Or it's like there's – it's it's – the ease of use there, it's like, oh, what could I do? Well, it's it, the gimbal's built in, so I can just use the gimbal there. It's like, yeah, but that's the easy choice. Yeah. Um, I can put the camera anywhere I want. Right. But sometimes the limiting things are the ones that bring out the most creativity. Absolutely. Limitations drive creativity. That's literally, like, that's just the truth. Like, limitations drive creativity. Not having a certain amount of money means like, oh, what if we did, how if we do this in one location? Oh, yeah. man. Some of the, you know, Oscar-winning movies have been done that way. It's like, Which is interesting because I feel like in a lot of ways, if you look at technology for, for, for movies and, like, general cinema, the stuff that is uh, consumer-based has far outpaced the professional level in terms of development like new technology going into things, it's, I mean, it go, kind of goes back to that, like, oh, the iPhones and the, the GoPros. But like overall, like, I, I mean, I know that there were some some gimbals, uh, like the Movi was a pro level thing. Mm-hmm. But after some of those things, I feel like it, everything kind of stays the same for a while. And then the consumer level does a bunch of stuff. 
And then the pro level comes in later on with like, okay, well, we just did all of that, but did it much better. But in a lot of ways, like movie making hasn't changed uh, like on a base level in a Hmm. long while. Yeah. Well, I think it goes into like, why is Ari not put autofocus in the next Alexa? Because it's not, that's not the same ball game. Like that's a, nobody, nobody really wants that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm sure some people do. Yeah. Well, I mean, like if, sure. if Ari came the out. The ACs don't want it. No, no. No, yeah. Purists it, don't want it. Yeah. yeah. Well, but like uh, look at the uh, – what's the red one? Uh, uh, Komodo? No, it's like the it's the Panavision, like the red and the Panavision. Oh, oh the yeah. DXL. The DXL, yeah. They have – the lenses for that have internal motors for autofocus. Hmm. So like, and that's on like a high, high end. Although I have no idea if anyone even shoots on that camera. I've seen it in person. It looks cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, that you're talking like cinema lenses with autofocus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. hmm. But, but it would be interesting to have like an Ari with sensor stabilization. Interesting. I don't know that it would be like, I, I see the reason not to do it. But like if you, because I think the initial thought is, uh, is like, oh, well, no, we, we want it to be pure and all that. But you know that if Ari came out tomorrow and said we've perfected sensor stabilization and we've got it in the next, you know, th- whatever camera we're releasing, people would be like, "Oh, Ari's doing it right." You know, I, yeah, I'm with you. I yeah. don't know if I am. <laughs> I, I would want to be able to turn it off, like a hundred percent off. Yeah, like if yeah. you could do that, like if you would probably still use it. I mean, you can turn off, you can turn off autofocus on the C300s, but it's still great that we have it. <laughs> you know. I kind of gotcha. Well, there's no <laughs> yeah, way to get around. I don't know, around. but I use, I, use the, I use an Alexa and a C300 for very different, very different reasons. Uh, yeah. yeah, There's no way to get around technology nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so it might end up happening. But I think that my, in my approach, at least, this is the same reason I like the Yushika A. It's because mm-hmm. it's all mechanical. Yeah. And I feel going like back to film the, photography. Less, the less I have to worry about some electronic going wrong the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you, know, you kind of mentioned purist earlier and I, I thought wasn't, that was kind of interesting because yeah. um yeah I it just, wasn't a dig. No, well I just no, I just feel like there is there's totally I don't know. I just I fear I fear that everything will become uh, uh done electronically yeah. and I mean it will. The and it's sad because there'll just be a divide. It, it's like with anything, right? Like there's always going to be that group, I think, that sticks to the purest mental. There's a reason why we have movies shot in 35 mil still. Why Why there are the Tarantinos. We were just watching the video earlier. Yeah. While there, why there are the Tarantinos that shoot stuff in 70 mil and the Nolans and all that. There will always be those people that sure. um, that will, you know, save the medium in some respects by keeping it the way that it originally started or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways it comes down to, you know, just the uh, the mentality behind what you're shooting. Yeah, um, I, th- I think about young filmmakers, um, and I think about myself old. as a well. <laughs> <laughs> I think about the the, no, land- really, the landscape yeah. when you entered film, Rob. Yeah, the landscape yeah. when I when Cody and I entered film uh, looked looked different. And my eye went to the shiny stuff, like gimbals mm-hmm. are cool, and yeah. the A7S had just come out, and it was like whoa, low light, and so the flashy thing. And then mm-hmm. you think like, oh, that's filmmaking. Mm-hmm. That's filmmaking because that's what the internet is talking about. Right. And, um, you know, if it's like, if if that if that's what the internet is talking about, and that's what you think filmmaking is, like that that can it, it that will probably bear fruit to like dive into that, but it might not be actually what filmmaking like is. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. It's gimbals and all of that kind of stuff. It's really it, 
very useful, awesome tools. Um, but it's, yeah, like I, I think kind of Cody, what you're saying, like the decision it come, to me, it comes down to a decision-making process. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, uh, so much of, I, I mentioned how like the, the consumer stuff is often outpaced and I feel like part of that might be just because it's a new marketing tool. Like, do you really yeah. need to have the A7? I mean, some people I'm sure benefit from the super low light of the A7S, but oftentimes, like, it's not like all of our cinema cameras have necessarily caught up to that and no one's really complaining about that mm-hmm. at this point. So, so much of it's marketing that I guess eventually gets some people used to it and then they want the tools and the bigger cameras. But um, no, hmm. it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting yeah. thing. At the end of the day, content is king. It's true. And limitation breeds creativity. Yeah, you said that, right? Yeah, I qu- yeah it's an original quote. It's, I, I yeah, thought yeah, it was yeah. 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 Thanks for uh, thanks for quoting me, Rob. What, what, <laughs> is, what it. is it? Uh, you know, you miss a hundred percent of the shots that you uh, don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like now someone's got to quote you as saying it. And just have <laughs> yeah. Daniel Gebert, Rob Kazmark. Yeah. So yeah, any closing thoughts on on stabilization? I feel like we'll revisit it yeah, again at some point. I mean, like, there's a lot here. There's no wrong way. I mean, a lot of it's like what you're exposed to. So you come up, you see, you know, people are using that. And, like, just get into it, understand it. Because I think, like, what you don't want to do is be too old and be like, oh, that's that's dumb, right? Or that's stupid. I don't like that. Or be new, like, new. And, like, everything's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, take it all in. Try to learn the best. And then make your decisions. And use the right tool for the right job yeah. If, yeah. if you can and if you could afford it because I mean there's those limitations too and learn the benefits mm. to each diff- each one because there's a reason why each one has has a major place in filmmaking whether that's professional or whether that's consumer level because it offers a benefit but none of them are you know a one size fits all yep. type of thing 100%. yeah so cool well thank you all for joining us for this podcast uh we're gonna have a lot more coming up every single week uh be sure to follow us on social media uh on facebook instagram we're on tiktok too uh you can find us under catholic filmmaking or spirit juice studios um be sure to check out our website spiritjuice.com and if you want to send over any questions comments or prompts for some of the future episodes uh send those to panning up at spiritjuice.com looking forward to uh speaking with you next week 